Teaching for this evening comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, and the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good evening. In preparing for the passage that we're looking at this evening, this past week, it made me think about going to see a Josh Ritter concert one time. And I had not been a huge fan of Josh Ritter. Heard his music on the radio. But we got tickets to see him at the Orange Peel in Asheville, North Carolina. And when that concert was over, I was blown away at just how amazing it was. And it made me wonder, why wasn't all that uh, glory evident to me in the songs that I heard on the radio? It, just, it wasn't the same. How amazing this concert was versus what I had heard. The power of Josh Ritter was obscured, really, in the songs that I had heard normally. And we experience things like that all the time in our life. Being a parent is like that. It's supposed to be this glorious thing, being a parent. Uh, Teaching your son or daughter how to ride a bicycle. But that glory is obscured at 2 a.m., isn't it, when... You're tired, and it's the, you know, the sixth month that uh, your baby has not slept well. And the glory of being a parent is obscured. And the same is true about in the Christian life, I think, that the glory of being a Christian is often obscured. I, I, we think things like, I thought being a Christian was supposed to make me really wise, so that when a friend came to me with a problem... I just instantly had this nugget of truth to give them that would just be awesome, and I would be awesome, and our coffee and, and our conversation would be awesome. But my advice, it just I don't think it's very good. The advice that they gave me, it wasn't very good either. Or thinking about reading your Bible. I thought, being, I, thought I was supposed to love reading my Bible. and just want to wake up doing it all the time. Or even the community that you live in. Sure, you appreciate things about the Christian community you live in. But I thought this was supposed to be awesome. And where's the glory? Where's the amazement? Well, the passage that we're looking at tonight answers this question. What if God could show you your salvation in a way that made its power and glory no longer obscure but revealed? What if God could give you a mirror in which to see yourself in your community? You could see yourself truly, but, which was actually good news. 
That's what I want to look at tonight in our passage. But before we go any further, let me pray for us quickly. Heavenly Father, uh, I, I do confess that there is no, there is no wisdom or, or revelation from God in me. I have no power, nothing special about me tonight. And so we pray that your spirit would show up and that you would illuminate your word in such a way that the word made flesh would be made evident to us and clearer to us that we might know him in a deeper way. Amen. So I want to look at two things tonight, and the first is God's power concealed, and the second is God's power revealed. First, God's power concealed, and then God's power revealed. First, God's power concealed, and there's, there's two things here. First, Paul, and then the Ephesians. I'll start swimming tomorrow at a pool in Vestavia. And there's, there's, no, there's no bubble over the pool. The, the water's going to be cold. And its, it's warmth and what it will be on August 2nd is obscured because of the weather right now. And that's exactly what Paul is assuming here in this passage about the Christian life. That its glory is obscured. We're not yet what we will be. And you see that in the context of Paul's own life. Where is Paul writing the letter to the Ephesians? He's not at a Christian concert. He's not at the Billy Graham Center in North Carolina. He isn't in 30A. He's not in this wonderful, kind of peaceful setting. Paul is in prison. He has no job. Uh, He has no family to speak of. He has no Christian community immediately around him. He's writing from jail in prison. The power of God is concealed. It's not evident. People are not impressed by Paul sitting in a jail cell. His freedom has been restricted. Paul, of course, is famous for preaching the freedom of the gospel, that it is the power of God in revealing the power of the gospel to make us all sons of God. And yet Paul, he's a prisoner as he sits in this jail cell writing to the Ephesians. He's disconnected from the church disconnected from whoever his best friend was that he relied upon. God's power was concealed. It was also concealed in the Ephesian church and in the Christian church in general. You see this especially in chapter 1, where Paul is actually having to pray for the Ephesians. Look in verse 15. For this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and of your love towards all the saints... I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He's thankful for them. They've believed in the Lord Jesus. But he's having to pray for them. And of course, people who who have everything that they need don't need to be prayed for. People who are strong in and of themselves don't need to be prayed for. People who have all the hope of the glory of the gospel already in them, and the potential of their growth is in them, you don't need to pray for people like that. Because they have everything that they need in themselves. And yet Paul is saying, despite the fact you believed, despite the fact that you're famous for loving all the saints, I'm fearful for you. And I want you to know that I am praying for you because I'm worried about you. God's power was concealed in the church in Ephesus, just like it was concealed in the churches all over the first three centuries. One book that I was reading 
recently. It was titled this way, Why on Earth Did Anyone Become a Christian in the First Three Centuries? Why on Earth Did Anybody Become a Christian in the First Three Centuries? It meant that you would probably lose your spouse or make it impossible to find a spouse. It meant that you would lose your job or make the only kind of a job you could find uh, being a slave or something near like it. It meant that you could be put in jail, have your rights as a citizen taken away from you. There are untold numbers of things bad that would happen to you by becoming a Christian in the first three centuries. Where was God's power? It was concealed. Where was the freedom of the sons of God? Because Paul knows that God's power is concealed in such a way that Christians themselves, we're entangled in the world and the flesh and the devil. And we're supposed to act like sons of God, but so often we act like orphans. And we're supposed to be filled with the Spirit, right? But so often when we look at ourselves, it feels like, Holy Spirit, I've, I've never heard of that. What's the Holy Spirit again? Because Paul knows this, he is praying for them. Because the God's power is concealed in us. Our experience in the Holy Spirit, our experience of the Holy Spirit in our lives, can never be the mirror in which we see ourselves truly. Because God's power is concealed in you, your experience of the Holy Spirit in your life cannot be the mirror in which you look to see yourself truly. It won't work. You won't be able to see yourself truly. God's power concealed. Now I want to look at God's power revealed, which is where Paul spends the bulk of the passage. Those of you with small children, can you imagine if someone could come to you and say, I want to show you what your child will look like when they're 30. And it's going to be awesome. They're going to be healthy and wealthy and wise And then they're going to give it all up to go be a missionary in Africa. And then they're going to write a book about what it was like to be a missionary. And your child, it's going to be awesome. Imagine how you would approach raising your child differently. If the power of what God was going to do in their life could be fully revealed and on display. Imagine how much better you would sleep at night, not worrying about that stuff. And knowing of God's power and how it would work in their life. And this is what Christ is saying and the Holy Spirit is saying in this passage. In Jesus Christ, you can see the hope that God has called you to. In Jesus Christ, you have a mirror in which you can see who you are truly. So that you can have an unquenchable hope. In verse 16, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers, that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. That's the first thing I want to look at, revelation and then power and inheritance. Revelation, power, and inheritance. He says in verse 17 that he is praying for them that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ would give them this spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I was converted um, in campus ministry, which is one of the reasons why I love doing campus ministry at UAB. 
My freshman year at the University of Alabama, I was converted through a small group Bible study at First Baptist Tuscaloosa. And after I became a Christian, the thing that I began to long for was for God to reveal himself to me in some way which was personal. I'd gotten a taste of that when I was converted. But I went from church to church to church in Tuscaloosa, and it seemed like a new one was starting every six months looking for the church that could give me Jesus speaking to me and revealing himself to me personally and having some kind of a special dream or some kind of special revelation from God. Of course, I think we all long for that on some level. And Paul is praying for them to receive something kind of like that, but kind of nothing like that, actually. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, over and over again, he describes the revelation that he's been given as an apostle. And he wants these Christians to know, I did not receive the gospel from man, but I received it by a special revelation from God. Which is why I can say to you, when I speak, I have the words of God for you. Because God has given it to me, and I'm his messenger to give it to you. I received it by revelation and the power of the Spirit. And what Paul is praying for them to have is that God would speak through Paul in the power of the Spirit and in the power of the other apostles, that God would give them the spirit of revelation, not in some new way like he was giving the apostles, but that God would work through his spirit in his word delivered by the apostles. Because of sin, we wrongly think we know God truly. We think we've received Revelation from God, when things are going really well in our life. When there's money in the bank account, that must mean I really know God. And when my sermon's great, that also must mean I, know, I really know God. Um, when we were able to take a summer vacation, I, th- I think we know God. And when things are going badly, when I get audited by the IRS, or when I lose my job, I must, I must not understand God. Things are going terribly. And God knows that. He knows that's the way that we normally think. Bad things, we don't know God. Good things, we must know God. But so he's saying, no, I want you to look to the Lord Jesus Christ and to God the Father, his Father. In verse 17, he prays that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he was called you. In other words, if you want to know God, don't look to yourself. Don't, know, don't look to your circumstances, good or bad, but look to the Lord Jesus, where you can know God and, and know that you know God by looking to the Lord Jesus and how God has revealed himself that way. And this is also the only way we can really know ourselves. How can you know who you are? Look to Christ, who's revealed God to us and revealed ourselves who we are. Now, there are influential people in our world who would say something like this. Why must I look to Christ to know myself? Why do I I have to do that? Isn't it my right to be whoever I want to be? Why do I have to look to Jesus to find out who I am? And one book that I read by a pastor, he he says there's four, four reasons why that won't work. It won't work looking to yourself to know who you are. Four reasons. The first is that it's incoherent. Uh, This author says, if your identity is just in your own desires, if your identity is only in what you want, 
Those desires are going to be changing all the time, which is going to make your identity incoherent, as incoherent as your changing desires. Second reason why it won't work is that it's illusory. It's an illusion. If our identity comes from forces outside of ourselves in large measure, which is true, who we are comes from forces outside of myself that I have no choice in, then it is silly to think that you can make your own identity. It's just a silly uh, ambition to have, to make your own identity. If your identity is coming from forces outside yourself, third reason is that it's crushing to form your own identity. Culture tells us that we have the power to create ourselves, and if that's true, therefore, success or failure, it all depends on you. If you can make your own identity, then your success or your failure in life, it is all in your hands. No one can help you. And if you fail, it's all your fault. That's crushing. I mean, people go crazy trying to live that way. It won't work to form your own identity. Fourth reason is that it's fracturing. It it destroys community trying to form your own identity. Self-made identities, they destroy connection with others because it's all about me. And if you and I do connect over something, it's all on my terms and I can change my mind tomorrow. And so we must look to the Lord Jesus Christ for God to reveal himself. Okay, second power God's power, Paul is saying, though concealed in us, is revealed in Jesus Christ. Look in verse 19 and 20. He says, he's praying for them that they would know, that they would have this spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. In verse 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. God's point is that if we want to know our potential in the world, we should not look to ourselves, even to our Christian selves, even to our spirit-filled selves. We cannot look to ourselves if we want to know God's power toward us. But he's saying, look to the Lord Jesus, who rose from the dead. Look to the mighty power displayed when Jesus of Nazareth ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God the Father. That's God's power towards you because of the good news of the gospel and God's promise to to aim his power which raised Jesus from the dead at you Christians at you the church in Ephesus I grew up in North Alabama and on trips up to Chattanooga we would sometimes pass the Belafonte nuclear power plant I don't know if it's still active but I can remember my father telling me as we drove past that nuclear power plant, well, that's, that's what powers the light switch in your bedroom. And I thought, I mean, you know, the cooling towers of this nuclear power plant are hundreds of feet high. I mean, to an eight-year-old, it might as well have been like the mothership which landed on, uh, you know, landed on the earth. And I, I thought to myself, why didn't anybody tell me? I mean, my little nightlight in my bed, I mean... Doesn't really core the, the glory of this power plant doesn't really correspond to the, the light that I get in my bedroom. I mean, there's something is off here. And because God knows this, and because Paul knows this, that we easily give up in the Christian life. 
on, on moving forward because God's power is obscured in us and concealed in us. He says, look to the Lord Jesus where his power towards you is evident. Where one day he will make you glorious. And, okay, so what? How might this change your fight against sins in your life? If you were able to see God's power on full display, which was going to destroy every sin in the world, every sin in your family, every sin in your marriage, what if you were able to see that power? Might it make you more patient with yourself? Might it make you more patient with your husband or your wife? Might it make you more patient with, I don't know, Red Mountain Church? If you knew God's power is, is a little obscure in us sometimes. It's concealed. But man, it's there and it's coming. Inevitably, as the sun is coming up tomorrow, and that power will be on full display when Jesus comes back and everything is made right and true. Revelation, power, inheritance. And this, this last point, I, I think you will, you will resonate with this if you've ever had the experience of, of seeing someone falling in love with you who you had already fallen in love with. It's a lot like someone falling in love with you who you've already fallen in love with. And when you realize they've fallen in love with you, you kind of think, me, really? You love me? Is there a, is there a catch here or something or... It's only because you don't really know me. That must be why you love me. And this is the amazing thing about what Paul is saying here is that though when we look in ourselves and how we become entangled in the world, in our own flesh, and in the ways with Satan is at work in the world, when we look at ourselves that God might love us, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if God can love me. But what he's saying here is that when God looks at us, because of the, the glory of Jesus, he sees the riches of his inheritance. Look with me in verse 18. He wants your, the eyes of your hearts to be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Why should I be hopeful about Red Mountain Church? Why should I be hopeful about my marriage? Why should I be hopeful about myself? Because of the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And that can kind of sound like, oh right, that's another way to describe Jesus. Or, yeah, God's glorious. Yeah, God must be rich. But what he's saying here, he's not talking about God. He's not talking about Jesus. He's talking about you. He's talking about Red Mountain Church. He was talking about the church in Ephesus. The inheritance is us, united to Christ. We are glorious. We are the riches of inheritance. God has bought us with the price. He has ransomed us with the blood of his son, the Lord Jesus. And so that we are God's glorious inheritance. He wants to inherit me. He wants to inherit the church. What does God really think of me? Um, What does God think of my spouse? What does God think of Red Mountain Church? We cannot, we should not answer that question. Well, I don't know. Let's see how God is at work. How is he at work 
in your life. I guess that's what God thinks about you. And that's exactly what the devil would want you to think. To come to the conclusion that, well, God thinks of me how I see him at work in our church or in my life. But Paul prays something different. He wants them to know the hope of their calling, not by saying, look how God has been at work in you. And if, and if you do that a lot, if you take, kind of take a census of conversions, then you can know the real hope of what you're headed for. Instead, he says, if you want to know the hope of your calling, look to the Lord Jesus Christ, to his death and to his resurrection. We are those who have God the Father as our God. He belongs to us, and we belong to him. This is easy to pass over, and it sounds a little strange, maybe if you weren't brought up um, around Christianity, or may- maybe it does if you've brought up, been brought up in the church too, but in verse 17, the scripture says that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Now, wait a minute. The God of Jesus, you mean God the Father was Jesus's, doesn't that make Jesus just a man? What the scripture is saying here, it's not denying that Jesus is God. But Paul is trying to emphasize that Jesus was a human being like you and me. He had blood and bones and sweat and hair. And because he clung to God as his God, God now clings to us as his people. That because the Lord Jesus committed himself to God, Now in Christ, we can know that God has committed himself to us. And that all that power that he displayed when he rose Jesus from the dead is now now at work in me and, and, and will complete its work one day. And that we are his glorious inheritance. The depth of the ocean is inconceivable to a child who only feels the tiny waves lapping against his toes on the beach. Same is true about God's power in our life, that it is obscured, it is concealed in our our daily experience. I don't experience God's power in its full glory, and it's hard. Which is why Paul says, look to the Lord Jesus. Look to him where the love of God is on display for the church and for you in all of its depths. This is his prayer for them, that you may know the love of God, you know, its depth and its height and its width. Christ, our mirror, who enables us to see who we truly are. Those who the power of God is fixed on. Those who God looks at and says, you are a glorious inheritance. Like, you're one day going to be glorious. So glorious that if I could see you now, I might bow down and worship you. That's how glorious you are. This is why Paul says in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, Now to him, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, um, we do shrink back because of the world and the flesh and the devil in our lives. 
And so we do ask you to lift our heads from ourselves up to you. That we might be reminded who we really are and who you've made us to be. The power at work within us, which though concealed now, will one day be revealed in conformity even with our head, the Lord Jesus. Amen.